welcome one, welcome all to the first episode of Speaking the Lawn. We have officially changed our name uh, as a podcast. Uh, we are no longer associated with SB Nation or Streaking the Lawn. We are now the Speaking the Lawn podcast. You'll see our beautiful little graphic uh, on wherever you get your podcast that Pierce uh, did for us. Nothing is changing necessarily, but uh, yeah. Uh, and today we're I have Paul and Caroline with me to talk a little bit of basketball, a lot of lacrosse. Um, so we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll start with the basketball side of things just because there is a lot of stuff hitting the fan and we haven't gotten their perspective quite yet on the end of the season and the things that have happened afterwards. Um, so Caroline, how are you doing? Hi. How are you feeling? What's oh, going you know. on? Um, yeah, basketball. Um, I can't say that either of the transfers came as a huge shock to me. Uh, and there might be a few more, who knows, or players going to the NBA or et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's tough. Cause you know, you root for, there's sometimes the Isaac Trout situation, I think is a very unique one. Um, I've seen a lot of consternation around the red shirt over the past day or so. And I, I really, really got to say, I don't think that had anything to do with any of this. Um, there have been a lot of red shirts deployed by Tony Bennett in his time as head coach. And a lot of like, I don't think any other one of them has red shirted and then transferred. Uh, you look at, I think there's way more uh, instances of success with like Deandre Hunter and Isaiah Wilkins and uh, Jay Huff. And um, you know, some people will probably point now at Caden, I think with the changed rules, it's a different situation. If you stay a couple of years, um, I wish both the guys had stayed, but this, I think, is now the reality of college athletics, especially basketball, um, is one of the things that's led to greater parity. Um, you see the final four set this year is not what anyone thought it would be. Um, and that combined with the pandemic and the able to play right away. And then also the pandemic years, like you look at a team like Furman um that had fifth year seniors come back as well and add experience and depth to a team that maybe wouldn't that would not have had it and you can make the argument Virginia had that as well et cetera, et cetera. um yeah you know that loss is disappointing I don't think that if you run that play 99 more times it never happens like that again um such as the tournament Virginia's benefited from magical moments and they were on the other side of this one uh I think that it's going to be important to see what Bennett and co do in the transfer portal it's been good to them so far you know we look at Trey Murphy and Sam Hauser and Jane Gardner Anthony Gill um you know they've brought in good players in the transfer portal I understand all of the hand-wringing the you know it's been a weird five years since the title and part of that is a global pandemic with the changing landscape of college athletics and then part of it you're like is just beat a double digit seed and a lot of this goes away so uh, I'm not too I'm not like the whole thing's ruined um because I think we've seen <laughs> that Tony Bennett is a good coach and you know it'll depend on whether next year's a rebuild if there's any more departures for the NBA um or if it's you know add a couple transfers have some solid centerpieces of really good either now second years or incoming first years um, I'm curious to see how it goes. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty, you know, a good way of summing it up, moderate view, you know. Uh, Paul, do you have... Uh, Unhinge it, Paul, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, do you have something a little bit more fun to say? No. Not more uh, more fun, no. Uh, not not that I can say on, on something that's being recorded or, or put out for anybody to listen to. Um, uh, my... my I, I, can't I can't improve too much on on what Caroline said that there's a lot of this is the tournament and and what we've seen from the rest of the tournament this year you know it's 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 Virginia and because there's a unique style of play it's the style of play that's always going to attract the criticism if if Virginia was trying to run 40 minutes of hell like Arkansas used to and that's and still had these results that's what would draw the attention um so I my only I have a big picture more big picture concern with sort of what is Tony Bennett's theory of basketball what is it that is what he thinks wins games um 
and I I have some worry about whether the pack line as a theory of basketball defense is as viable now when we've seen more four out offense more more spread the floor the the evolution and sort of the trickle down of of the nba mantra that the only two good shots are three points and dunks if you don't have multiple players inside where that line is supposed to be on defense and teams are shooting more three-pointers as a percentage of their total field goal attempts than a defense that is designed to pack the interior and live with outside shooting that that I'm just just a a that's a, that's a defense that works maybe in 1990s early 2000s college basketball but is it something that can work in an evolution of college basketball and and we didn't see it against some of the teams that are really the most you know not not against an Alabama uh that 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 is probably the team with both the high level talent and the highest emphasis on that style of play we've seen it work against for instance Marshall when they played in in the regular season against D'Antoni's Marshall team a year ago two years ago um that it was fairly effective we won't but there's also a huge talent disparity in that game um so um that's just sort of my is is this a way of playing that keeps a team with Virginia's talent, which is in that sort of mid-tier between true blue blood, blue blood, blue chip, and you know certainly above mid-major and certainly above the vast majority of high majors, uh, but it's still a you've got to do something to get more out of talent that isn't necessarily as highly rated as the best teams and the best players in the country um yeah there, there's a, a little bit of the, the the football analogy here would be sort of the the 2007 michigan team that played really really physical had been a top three team in the country for a, several years previously had had a, a one versus two matchup with ohio state only a, a year or two before and then all of a sudden got exposed by app state and oregon in consecutive weeks at the beginning of that 2007 season that it's an entirely new way an entirely new theory of football that was able to overcome that talent disparity so i I just I, I am not a basketball expert by any stretch of the imagination, um, but that is my can this system keep producing at the level we've enjoyed and come to expect over the past 10 years as more and more teams with higher and higher talent are starting to shift toward an offensive philosophy that may expose some of the weaknesses. That's I, So I think that's really interesting. And I'm going to say, yes, the style can, but I think the last four years have shown us that the personnel is extraordinarily important within 100%, the system. 100%. So I think the system, I mean, the system won the ACC again, like the system works. They beat top level, you know, and you look at even games where they didn't play well on the road against Miami, who's now a final four team, like that came down to a, you know, Reese, bumping it off his toe out of bounds where they could have won the game with a two-pointer like sure so the system i think yes i think it's a great it's a definitely a discussion to be had that's more than just this system doesn't work because we've seen alabama lose we've seen like fast-paced teams lose games in this tournament like i i'm a big staunch thing where it's like this i think it's such a lazy take and i can't handle the like tony bennett's not cut up for march like i can't handle that stuff because it's ridiculous but what your point is absolutely accurate is they have to have, and that's where I think this whole, I'm not in the, Oh, the NIL and transfer portal have ruined college basketball. Like it has changed the way that coaches have to operate, especially if you're someone like Tony Bennett, who relies on developing players and having them in the system. So when they got Trey Murphy, I think Zach, correct me if I'm wrong. You'll know this. He was supposed to still be here this season. This was his second season. Is that correct? I mean, if he would have sat out 21. Yeah. But the thing is, the thing about Trey is that I think that there was an expectation that after he played a year, he could probably get drafted. So like technically he <laughs> could have played that that's coming from like, 
like I, yes and obviously hindsight's yeah. way easier to be right. like look at this guy yeah, he's exactly. ridiculous like there's a potential that when he, could he have came been in on the team this year yes when he came in they did not think that they were going to one be able to play him and that at the end of that season he would be going in the draft where he went so this is not, again this is not people say like oh you're just making excuses like this is just how roster planning and all this stuff works this team or even last year's team or even you know the what if they have a piece like that, that's a diff- whole different thing that you're looking at. And this isn't, you know, this is not a knock on who's in the system now. This is not a key hey knock. This is not whatever that stuff is. Like the thing that's most frustrating to me about having like Caden and Trout transfer, which again, it's their decision. Like you have one life to live. You have one chance to have your career is knowing that had they come back, the team that the team makeup next season is one that like, what Paul is describing would be designed to combat that while still playing solid defense within the pack line, in my opinion, like that's where, you know, and now you got to go to the portal and try and find that stuff. But the teams that have had success minus the 2021 season where they didn't get to practice had NBA players on them. Like that's just, yeah. And and that sounds stupid to say, because like who, what team isn't better with NBA players on it? Like no shit. Like, sorry, can we swear on speaking the lawn? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's just kind of we'll find I, out. Yeah. Well, I think you make a really excellent point because it's not just about like you're not saying the style's broken and can't work in March. You're saying like the way that the game is evolving and developing. Like you have to be able to right. adjust for. And Virginia has always been susceptible. Who was that guy that played for Wake that I will have nightmares about forever and ever? The four stretch four that hit like. I think a thousand threes against Virginia in a span of two seasons. Like those are the players that. Right. Miami, my, like Miami had those guys. Yeah. Where it felt like they were just rotating in some seven footer from Spain with a three point shot every year. Florida yeah, exactly. State has those guys because they're all those guys. Like, and that's the thing, like you have to be able to now more and more teams to your point, Paul, are build they're building the entire plane out of these guys. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And that's difficult. You know, I don't think that that wasn't the situation. That wasn't the issue in either i wouldn't even say it was the issue against duke that was just i think heavy legs at the end of day you know the third day in the acc tournament like trying to win is but still you've got you've got a a a filipowski in that game that has that kind of outside shot that that when they wanted to they could go spread the floor because they've got two guys that can you know they've got lively they've got filipowski they could do that spread the floor type offense the longest team alive it's, Seeing yeah. them in person, I was like, "This is this cannot be legal to have this many long people on the court at once." Every I, single one of them. I do also think like the offensive schemes that Tony employs. Sort of, you need players to be in the system for three years or to be insanely talented. Like you kind of need yeah. one or the other, and preferably both. And but... you need Jack Salt. Let's be honest. <laughs> and so I think there probably needs to be some sort of adjustment made to okay, this guy is probably going to be with us for two more years after this season and can contribute to winning at a really high level. He might deserve a bump in minutes over the guy who's leaving us after this year. Um, I, I think that there's something there. And I know that like at the end of the day, Tony Bennett wants to win the basketball game that he is playing that day. Yep. And so if you say, for instance, this year, if you said, okay, we're going to not play Ben Vanderplas as many minutes as we did and play Caden Shedrick additional minutes because we want him to come back next season. Maybe you lose to North Carolina uh, at home. Maybe you lose, I'm blanking on a couple, maybe you lose when Virginia Tech comes to town and you drop those two games and you finish tied for third in the ACC. And then we're much more disappointed about this season. Well, we're um, also retconning a lot of the discussion around Caden Shedrick before he went to the bench. Like this, there, there, you know, it's the, the, he's, he's a bust. Like I'm reading, I've seen that stuff. Every, I'm not saying that. That's not, yeah, yeah. saying this. I read tweets that were saying like, this guy's a bust. He's a clown. Like, why is he still playing? Like that kind of stuff. Like, cause he mishandled a pass or like, didn't, you know, he's too soft. He's not going up hard enough. Like I've read all of those things. And now they're the same people that are saying that Tony Bennett blew it because he wanted to play a guy that had his first, same, like that was named after him. And I'm like, this is the nonsense stuff guys. Like, I don't, know what to tell like well, the bvp is not the enemy here he's not the scapegoat like he's not the like it's just that's the stuff that frustrates me the most is like 
people acting like they know what happens in practice or that they know like they weren't just talking trash about this player a month ago like saying he should have gotten more minutes and it's and then they lose those games and it's complaints about mismanagement of benches and it's you know whatever i'm just kind of ranting at this point but. yeah no i i just i think that outside of the caden vvp dynamic perhaps they're just you it becomes difficult because they've had a number of years and this is true in all of college basketball but there have been a number of years where there's been a mass mass exodus. And at times it's just because players didn't work out and that's not necessarily on Tony, maybe recruit better players and get better players to commit. But like, I, I think that there needs to just be some sort of shift towards we are playing and coaching next season as well. There's like, and, and I think that like Tony's commitment to practice is important at the same time, games are different than practice. Playing against guys who you haven't played against for dozens or hundreds of hours in practice, like different things can happen, different matchups happen that can suit how, you know, players perform and guys play differently in a game yeah. than they do in practice. So I just want I just, everyone to know that this has nothing to do with Trout, though. No, this is not Trout. Put, not red, I, I'm sorry, guys. If the guy misses his girlfriend and misses his family and misses the state of Nebraska, there's nothing that Tony Bennett in Charlottesville yeah, can do about move. that. He nothing legal that he can do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so chain, chain him to a radiator. He'll be fine. <laughs> sorry. There is a, a, a basketball argument for assuming he's going to Creighton. That, that <laughs> seems like where he's going to go. Um, there, there's there's Washington a going like North Carolina. And we're like, what the fuck? But he, I think I you're gonna say, Paul, that it's a more fun offense and all that stuff. Like, I, it's, it's, an offense that, it's an offense that plays through the, it's an offense that plays through the bigs more. Like, that, that's a that's that a if, if there's if, if there's all of the if there's all of the other personal stuff, like, I there's a well, it's not gonna be that hard. Like, there is this other benefit to getting getting to fulfill what it, the sort of scratch that itch in terms of the family and personal stuff and then yeah. the basketball it's not like his choices were if i go home my choice is to play oh my only choice is to play for a 10 and 20 nebraska team or whatever like oh, of course th- not. That it's he's going to a team presumably creighton that runs his offense through its bigs the coach is is constantly asking for tempo is but you know he wants good offense through the bigs with tempo that i can see that that that's an attractive landing spot but that existed before i hear this you it's not I'm, new I'm not, like, no, I'm, not, I'm not saying that he's leaving because of that i'm saying that I, there's obviously the family stuff and th- having that as a soft landing is yeah. makes it easier to makes it an easier basketball decision to do what you need to on the family. I'm just frustrated it. because when they're yeah. when they're top when they're preseason top five and he plays really well, people are going to turn this again on Tony Bennett, and it's going to drive me nuts because it had nothing like Creighton played exactly that same way and had the exact same coach when they went through the recruiting process. Yep. And he like he chose to go out of state. He chose to go to a place where his girlfriend wasn't playing volleyball and knows exactly what he signed up for at each location. And so, yes, you're right. Like he's going, it's just, I'm already annoyed. I'm pre-annoyed at the, he's scoring 12 points a game and grabbing nine rebounds, Tony, and it blew it. Like, I'm just tired of it. Cause you can't, you can't fight with homesickness. And to, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you don't know that that's going to be the case if you've never left home. So, and, and no high schooler would have, like, unless you're being sent to like Geneva for private school or something, like how are like you supposed IMG to know? Academy type kids. Yeah. yeah. How are you supposed to know how you're going to feel? So this is not a knock on him. It's just, and all of this is correct. I saw someone say like, he probably saw how Creighton was playing in the tournament, having fun with each other. And that's when he decided, I'm like, buddy, that is not remotely how this went down. Like he knew Creighton existed. He knew how they played. Everyone knows who Doug McDermott is. Like it's, <laughs> it's just how it's how it shook out. Like it's it sucks. I and, wish he'd stayed. But and this is also modern college basketball because yeah. he redshirted, and he gets to play next season. If he'd redshirted this year, which he chose to do, which we haven't mentioned, allegedly. Which, <laughs> I I, I don't I don't buy. Like, listen, could you have? Could you say? You know what? You probably shouldn't bring in like. There's an argument to, to be made that this is not on BVP. BVP is a very good player. There's an argument to be made that you see that you have a 6'10 stretch four five coming in and you don't go get another one who's more experienced and you let that guy play. But, you know, but obviously for, that, that does, I don't think that, that if Trout plays 10 minutes a game, that means that he doesn't transfer. 
But sorry, they needed I'm, that depth regardless, in my opinion. But yeah, they they needed more experience in the front court. I think they, that that's they absolutely that needed more known. experience in the front court, um, especially offensive. Yeah. They, yeah. they could play an offensive role. You've got, as we yeah. saw, like you've got guys like Poppy. That if you've got a, a you know big strong a strong big that you need a defensive stopper for, great, Poppy's there. But there's not a there's a defensive presence and we need somebody who can either move him out of the post with an outside shot or play around him with, with post moves, you know, that, that person, that role wasn't on the roster this year. And she only had one year of eligibility. So you assume that even if trout doesn't play that year, he can still develop over time. Anyway, the, the point I was making was if he had to redshirt after transferring, you break up that, you break up that power class. Like I think, Oh, I kind of agree. Yeah. Like, it made sense um yeah, the guy and just you got preserved that year right and so anyway uh i think we'll unless you guys Cole have Kastner, power forward perfect transition um unless you guys have more basketball thoughts which i'm sure you do but if you have anything pressing um i think we'll transition to talk this, this is virginia we don't press um, um, do in I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put myself on mute for a little while now. <laughs> this is like what is what is the around the horn or whatever. I'm just like Paul's muted. He won't be <laughs> minus ten points. Um, let's talk lacrosse. Let's talk about the UVA men's lacrosse team. Um, I'm glad that we decided to wait a week to podcast because we, after all the doom and gloom of losing to Furman, I said I don't really want to talk about UVA losing to Maryland in lacrosse because I would just. <laughs> I will be not happy. Um, but now, so UVA lost, uh, then ranked number one, Virginia lost to then ranked number three, Maryland, 14 to 13 at home on an overtime goal, four, I already said 14 to 13, and then followed that up by being going to Notre Dame and as the number three team in the country, beating number one, Notre Dame, 15 to 10, which has now bumped UVA back into the number one spot with... I believe Notre Dame second on inside lacrosse, Maryland third, and Duke fourth. And then I think that Maryland and Notre Dame are flipped on the USILA poll. Regardless, roller coaster of two weeks. <laughs> I think we obviously saw the a best version at this point in the season of UVA against Notre Dame on Saturday. Um, I'll I'll throw it to Caroline in a similar fashion. Thoughts after these last two games? Good, bad. I think good. mostly pretty great good. I think even um I don't know if we have seen their best because there's still a few things I could nitpick about That's, Notre Dame. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> they they probably should have had six or seven more possessions from the like face off even. You know, a couple, you know, um PD, love with my whole heart. Sometimes he'll do those like crazy like throwback and the it goes out of nowhere. Like pass that he attempted. That, yeah. Like I'm like eh. What? And then he tried to go between so legs with his stick. At one point, they ended up scoring on yeah. that possession. <laughs> that was the best the Yolo Fogo. <laughs> he is. I love it. But it, it's going to come with some really great moments. It's going to come with some moments where you're like, "What was that pass?" Um, but that's only to say. So I think when I look back on the Maryland game, and I I've chatted um with friend of the pod, good friend uh, Anish Sharaf, ESPN lacrosse commentator about this too. Maryland played their A game. Like Mar- that, that is that is the best. I think that is the best case scenario of getting everyone on Maryland to play their best. Like that that was what they got in Charlottesville was Maryland's A game. Um, we saw maybe like a C plus if I'm being generous from UVA. And and that's on overtime. aggregate. That there were yeah. stretches of that game that yes. it was worse than that. Like the yes. first quarter. It was the third quarter. Middle middle school across, unable to catch it. Catch. They a were pass too jacked up. It. They yeah. were too jacked up in the first quarter. And honestly, I don't blame them. Like there was a lot of hype around this game. It's the first time Maryland been back for like ten years. Like they wanted revenge on getting their ass kicked twice last year. Like there was a lot of emotion. The crowd was amazing. The band was there. It was a wild set. Like Saturday afternoon, it was very cool um but paul's right it was not an it was not a c plus consistent effort it was like a a couple moments of a like in the second quarter and then like some really bad like maybe d minus efforts in the third quarter um but all of that to say is like they lost in overtime and only because maryland's backup goalie made three of the most incredible saves i've ever seen in my entire life in succession in overtime um 
And so that has to be a little, I mean, it sucks because it just shows that if Virginia doesn't play 100% or even 90% or 80%, that they can lose to a team that's not as good as them. But that's kind of how it goes. Um, The response at Notre Dame was awesome. And not only that, but the response once Notre Dame tied it. I don't know if you guys heard, but the football team was there. Um, and they like got is Notre Dame football a thing? Is there something I should know about? <laughs> they, I was like, they just kept showing the football. Like we get it, they're there. We get it. I, you know, Marcus Freeman. That's fine. Show, show them all you want. <laughs> it's just like I wanted. I think I texted Zach because I'm a petty, petty child. I was like, they haven't shown the football team in a while when it was like 14 to nine or something. <laughs> because they all left um but yeah i think it was an amazing it was a really really good bounce back and it continues to show that this offense is clicking and i'm not as down or picky or not picky but um there's been a lot of noons talk and i feel like some of it you know what is it the reports of my downfall have been grossly exaggerated (laughs) Um, I don't know that I'm there yet and he had, but he had a very, very good game against a really solid Notre Dame offense. Yeah. Noons. I mean, he, uh, against Notre Dame, 14 saves, uh, 10 goals allowed for a 58% save percentage, yeah. um, off the top of my head there, the, the best part and, and his numbers haven't been bad this year. Like against Maryland, he had 16 saves on 30 shots on goal. It was just that it felt like he didn't make some saves that he should have made and then wasn't like otherwise a plus which is a pretty high standard to be held to when you have these very clinical Maryland shooters stepping down on you um but against Notre Dame he both made saves that he should make and he made a lot of saves where it's like oh yeah noon's kind of like well saved the the defense there you know I mean that like they decided to let Eric Dobson take sort of quote unquote contested shots. They decided to play him with a shorty for the majority of the game and just kind of said, okay, noons like Matt, you're, you're going to go make saves. And he did. And he made saves on the doorstep too. Like obviously not all of them were clean on the doorstep. A couple were, but he just, he, he was seeing the ball. And I think that's sort of like the bottom line is that like he came out first quarter, saw the ball, didn't sort of have that like first half first quarter lapse that he had against some other teams and was on it throughout the game and frankly I don't really think there was a goal in that game where I was like ah he should have had that like I I think that the 10 goals that Notre Dame had were all shots that it's like okay like yeah okay he could have made a miraculous save on that one or or okay that's a 10 yard step down from Pat Kavanaugh one of the top five best offensive players in the country like sure it would have been great but at the same time that's hard to expect out of a guy so that's a huge plus. I think, Caroline, your note, yeah. uh, I'll throw it to Paul in, in a moment here. Uh, the face-offs, it was really interesting to see. Notre Dame was countering PD on, like, every – they weren't even trying to go for the clamp. They were countering yeah. him on every single draw, forcing him to win it back, and then a lot of the time double-polling the face-off strategically to try to get it from him when he was winning it back to himself. Not – double-pole wasn't maybe the, the majority, per se, but at times they did that. Um and I thought that UVA's wing play could have been better. And that's not like they still won 17 or they still won. Yeah. 17 out of 29 faceoffs um, could have been better, but at the same time, this offense was absurd. Paul, assume you might want to talk a little bit, a bleh, little bit about the defense, perhaps Kate Solstead, yeah. Cole Kastner. Yeah. I, the fact, the, the job that those two guys did on the Kavanaugh brothers, I just incredible. Um, you know, that's, that is quintessentially why Lars Tiffany and, and Starger before him recruited those kind of long poles that are, are six, five plus athletes, um, you know, guys with multi-sport backgrounds that, that bring that sort of, you know, a lot of, lot of, they've been taught defense a lot of different ways, not just in lacrosse, um and and seeing that play out with with the job they were able to do on the Kavanaugh's you know if this is a oh you know this isn't something that uh giving up 10 goals to Notre Dame should be seen as as a negative that's that's an incredible performance at at the speed and pace that Virginia plays with on the lacrosse field um you know shutouts are no longer a thing with the shot clock nobody's playing those nine, eight games anymore. Um, so, which is a good thing. I, that's, that is a style of lacrosse that, you know, the, the sort of the old Notre Dame style that, I was that, say that the was, old that Maryland was and Notre Dame, yeah. get. 
Um, so I think that's, that's been a, a positive thing for the sport more generally. Um, but it also lets Virginia show off its athleticism. And I think that's where, you know, even, even with teams trying to get cute on the 10 man ride, um, doing things like shooting it, you know, that, that it's a, they don't actually care if it goes three yards wide of the net, they just want it down that end of the field. Um, yeah, we haven't seen as much of that. Of that, you know, I think Anish used to call it the Valkyrian ride. You know that, that, that it was that 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 it really did look like it was a pack of Velociraptors out there just eating people alive on the ride, the way they did in twenty, especially twenty nineteen. Um, but having got letting Sawstad and especially Kastner play up closer to the midfield line means there are players encountering a long pole at a time in the possession and at a location on the field that they are completely not expecting. And you can, you can see it that whether it's a short, a, a short stick, a short stick D midi trying to get the transition into offense real quick or an attackman playing that far, you know, out outside the box up, up toward midfield. There's a, when Virginia sets up the ride that way, it's causing it. it it's this, a similar sort of thing to, keeping PD in on offense and making the other sides Fogo play defense or bringing long sticks up and having them just stay on that side of the field. And Virginia plays five on five offense because whoever's supposed to be like, there's just doing those sort of things that we're going to play something that we're comfortable with that makes you uncomfortable. Even if it's not, we're trying to affirmatively use this player to create offense for ourselves. It's we're, we're going to, we're going to do something that's a little bit, weird um and and make you respond to it so that's that was like has been something that in both i i feel like we see i've seen more of it of kastner playing further up the field i've, I've noticed that especially with kastner um that it's a, a nice a nice tweak that it shows you know this coaching staff isn't being dogmatic about how they're doing the 10-man ride they're they're responding to what they're seeing they're they're scheming toward it um so um i think generally you've seen the benefit of having the continuity that they did on defense from last year to this year. Um, there's a lot better communication slides are faster. Um, they're able to do things like springing double teams on, on players and, and have not just give up a wide open, you know, crease look to, to somebody. Um, so having, having all three of your, your close defenders and your goalie, be together for another year they, they've got that level of trust and i still i still don't think the defense has played its a game uh we've no. we've seen the offense play its a game um the offense has yeah i think it was it, the harvard game especially was was a game that that the offense needed to be on its a game because the defense sure as hell wasn't close to it um but there's been improvement and i think we could see if if that defense comes up another level or two, there this team is going to start to put some distance between themselves and the rest of the field. Yeah, I think the defense they have the individual defenders. I think sometimes the um, as sort of a unit things can get lost in the shuffle. I think that's probably why weirdly um, and just to throw some numbers out there. So UVA is the most efficient offense in college lacrosse off yeah, of are. like you know success rate. Um, Notre Dame is third. Uh, and so holding them to 10 goals uh, is impressive. I think that like weirdly, because you have Solstad and Kastner who can maybe not completely negate the Kavanaugh's, but slow them down, hold them to six points rather than the six combined points, rather than the 10 and a half, they combined average on a game to game basis. That's really impressive. And it speaks to sort of like the individual guys that this team has. The counter to that is when they play Maryland, who is all about just taking, getting that one step and then rotating the ball to get another step and another step. And that ends in a eight yard step down on news um, or just on something sneaky. Cause Maryland, um, while they are the eighth most efficient in college or offense in college across eighth most efficient, um, they don't necessarily have those guys. And so and I think with those two games back to back are really interesting to me because yeah. both of those offenses have a lot of well, Maryland lost a few players, but like the way that that offense is run, like you're right, they rely on ball movement and the next pass and rotating so you get into um slides, et cetera. And then you have Notre Dame that's a very experienced offense with some very solid pieces. 
both present different challenges and both what they did really well against Notre Dame was really even denying passes. Like they weren't even letting Notre Dame get comfortable in the offense where I wonder what really in both of these teams did it. And because they're very good offensively and have very good coaching schemes is Virginia would play defense for a solid 55 seconds, 65 seconds, whatever, however long. And then it's the last three seconds where someone's getting like the last pass or the ball movement where it's like so frustrating because the defense was like dominating. And then all of a sudden these really good offenses find a way. And sometimes that just happens. Like you're going to play really good offenses. Notre Dame has a very, very good offense. They had a perfect scheme defensively to not let them get into any sort of rhythm and to force them into lanes that they didn't want to go and cut off passing lanes. It was beautiful. It was like art. It was, I loved, I mean, still wasn't the, it wasn't a perfect game. They still have spots that they can fix things, but it was a uh, back-to-back seeing them face those two offenses has been really impressive. Yeah. And I think it's something that statistically we're going to have to, like this defense may not ever be sort of at, at the top. It, it may not register the numbers again, and not just because of pace. And, and I remember Lars had said this in, in one of the post-game press conferences earlier in the year, that it's not just about the pace. It's that the, what they want to do on defense is take risks that, that yeah. they are, they want to take risks to cause the turnover, to get the ball back to the offense. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, for, for a team that that's looked like one of the best in the country has been seen by everybody as one of the best in the country. Uh, to be, to have a, a defensive efficiency numbers that are in the in the low twenties, that's something or the high twenties. That's something that's okay, fine. It, it, that it's yeah. sort of the the counter of of yeah. It, it, it is so interesting to have the basketball season end right as these big lacrosse games are starting and, and really seeing, you know, the what we talked about a theory of basketball. There's sort of a, a a contrasting theory of lacrosse of. Um, you know, it's it, it, this is this is the lacrosse equivalent of just about like the Grinnell system in basketball that it's 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 trapping its pressure defense, trying to get get the ball back on offense as quick as you can. Um, and I, you know, I, I it, it's fun. Um, it's effective again when you've got the athletes. Um, and I think it's um, something that as they again, as they trust each other more, as they get a little more rhythm that I feel like the transition game hasn't been as strong uh, in, in the past couple of games. And that's, that's partly because Notre Dame, you know, and Kevin Gorgon, they really emphasize play being in position again, basketball parallel, sort of, you know, that the, they're, they're trying to get back. They're trying to make you be methodical. Um, Virginia made so much, so many better decisions against Notre Dame though, in transition than they did against Maryland. The and that's one not- Evans in play. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm not trying to not like you know Zin's enthusiasm. Oh, I love Evanson. I love it. Uh, part of the thing that really I think affected Virginia, especially that third quarter against Maryland, is the defense was on defense for 90 seconds or clock reset after clock reset. They'd get a save, and there was a time where Noons tried to be a little too aggressive on the clear and passed it to a guy that had three dudes on him, and it turned over right yeah. away. And like another defensive possession, you finally get a stop in that third quarter. And rather than let the offense hold it, let Connor touch the ball. Let Connor Schellenberger touch the ball when you haven't had it for two and a half minutes, whatever. They're taking a shot in transition, stick side to a goalie that's already shown that he's hot and he's seeing it. Like those types of decisions is what really, you know, it's easy to say like in hindsight, like in a one goal game, whatever. And I think there was a little bit of that in the overtime period, like went down and took a shot a little too early. They got the rebound, and I thought McConvey shot. I was like, this is it. He's clearly going to score here. Yeah. Um, and then the rebound, obviously, like, you have to take that shot. Like, there's that's not a knock on any of those things. It's just um, against Notre Dame, it was, what do we have available? Oh, look, there's the future. <laughs> like, there's our first-team All-American. Let me get this over to him real quick, rather than take a on-the-move, you know, shot that's going to be low probability against, again, Liam Entman is one of the best goalies in the country. And they put up 15. I think someone said it was the most they've ever scored on Notre Dame. 
I believe that's correct. At least since like 1980 or something. That's like, wild. Yeah. And I, I also did not most. know they had a five game win streak against Notre Dame. Yeah, it's it's comfortable. I mean, Liam, yeah. Liam Entenman was only 42% on the game. Um, I also think just getting the ball to Connor in transition specifically. Generally a good idea. Like generally, like both when Zinn found him sort of to like as the finisher on that play, but also in the, I guess it was the third quarter when Jeff Connor, right. When Jeff Connor came out of that scrum where PD tried to do the between the legs with the stick. And then Connor's like, okay, we have like a three on three slash two on two. And I have a short stick on me at the middle of the, you know, box or the top of the box. I can beat this guy and draw a slide. Like getting it to him in transition means you're probably going to score. And I like doing, being more aggressive when they're sort of like even, you don't even need to be four on three, just get the ball to Connor Schellenberger. And then if it's four on four, in, in sort still, of like and that means the, it's four on three right? Yeah, exactly. when, when the sub game is going on when there's yeah. like not it's the matchups aren't perfect doing that a little bit more rather than sort of the short stick mini and UVA has capable short stick minis in transition but maybe get the ball to Connor and then cut to the crease and see if you get the pass back get the ball um, to Connor is always the answer yes. um <laughs> and I guess this you know we can now talk about the offense a little bit yes. um Against Maryland, you know, we mentioned, uh, took some bad shots, turned the ball over 16 times um, compared to Maryland's 10. Of course, UVA turned the ball over 18 times against Notre Dame, but I'd argue that they were probably better turnovers, or at least they converted on enough of the looks later in the game. Um, Notre Dame went up 1-0. UVA responded with, I believe, a six-goal run. Was it six? I think it was five. Okay, five-goal run. Um, And then obviously Notre Dame hold it to 7-5 before halftime and then 7-7 about six minutes into the third quarter and UVA then responded with uh three straight goals and the game was essentially over as they uh kept running it up Connor Schellenberger finished uh the Notre Dame game with two goals and five assists Xander Dixon had six goals one assist Peyton Cormier two and two uh Thomas McConvey one and one Peter Garno Patrick McIntosh and Ricky Miazon all also added (laughs) goals in that game UVA shot 31 percent um total against Notre Dame which like not amazing but at the same time Notre Dame has the second uh most efficient defense in college lacrosse so like putting up 15 on them is putting up 15 and they also had I thought they had really solid misses there were a couple shots where I was like stick side high you're not gonna be Densman that way that's not um but there were a lot of like Connor had one, Ricky had one where it's like that was a good look at the cage and you missed the top corner by an inch. Like doesn't and, hurt to aim for the have, corner and miss. Yeah. And you have backup. Like they took a lot of I don't think they had a single like turnover on no backup type situation, which are the ones that would drive me nuts as a coach. I don't know if it drives them nuts, but that would be the one they're like, you see that there's no one back there. Like that's a turnover. Um if you haven't yet, go find the UVA lacrosse tweet where it shows the four goals that Connor and Xander Dixon connected on and just one watch them because they're great but two then and Zach pointed out this part watch Connor's he's dodging and re-dodging with his head up always looking for a cutter it's incredible it's extremely difficult and it just his attention on the field is wild and then just each it's like one of those celebration videos now where like every time someone hits when someone hits a big three and you, you like watch people in the background like pick a different person each time do that for this but then like go watch Xander Dixon watch the way that he floats around the defense and when he times his cuts and when he's going to the back back post um and then go back and watch Cormier and watch Cormier do the same things because he's just as important in these clips as Xander Dixon and Connor Schellenberger because the way that this offense commands so much attention from opposing defenses is basically almost every time that Xander got free was because his defender, and this is all about timing. My dad always said cut to the laces because he played in the old school days where helmets laced up on the back. <laughs> but he, when the when they'd look away from you in their little leather helmet, um, you could see the laces so that you knew that they weren't looking at you. They couldn't see you if you cut to the laces. And so the defender will look at Cormier like, okay, good. He's still there. That guy's still on him. And Xander's drifted off and he's gone. And now he's wide open on the back post. Like this offense is gorgeous. And then you have like the outside shooters when Garno connects, good luck. <laughs> I mean, and Schutz has honestly been quiet the last couple games. And this is a guy that we know can put up points because we saw him do it at Hopkins. Hopkins. Yeah. 
He was four yes. and two against Hopkins. Griffin Schatz and Peter Garneau were one for 11 in this game, which sometimes you just miss, like you try and place it. And, and also Griffin Schatz should have had an assist in this game because of the shot that um, rebounded <laughs> it was into just a so hard. That, goal. Yeah. Um, uh, regardless, I, I think like, the way that Connor played it, and, and Kark, uh, Paul Carcatera was was saying this on the broadcast, the way that Connor played against Chris Fake was really impressive. And the way that he managed to, um, well, first of all, like just not sort of have to get beat on to score, right? Like the, the way that he managed sort of like using his speed and agility rather than his raw strength, which he has, but also sometimes can leave him um, t- turning the ball over or just getting banged up, which happened last season. This probably happened a little bit this year already. That that sort of like opening goal he had where he denied the Will Corey pick and then like, you know, changed direction just on a dime, beat fake, and then came around and scored low angle while also taking a hit, which is picture perfect. And then the way that he managed to throughout the game, first of all, Notre Dame was switching off ball and they were getting a shorty on Connor, which is just like, okay, like we'll That's take a goal. Yeah, um, which is something that like they used to do with with Matt Moore a lot in 2019. I think they like that. That's something that worked for them a lot in the tournament. Um, and I'm not exactly sure how that off ball movement has worked necessarily because it's typically off camera or, or whatnot. But um, the way that Connor managed to just beat another team by placing the ball with his passes is just it's absurd. And and the picking concepts that or the cu- picking and cutting off ball concepts that UVA uses, they're not like, like they're complex, but it's not revolutionary necessarily. Like, it's just like, okay, you guys start here. One of you cut before the other one to the opposite side. And then the other one cut to the opposite side and try to confuse the defense like that. And then we have the best passer in the country. Who's going to put it on your stick one way or the other. And you can both catch in traffic and both finish in traffic. Peyton Cormier was two for six in this game. If he's four for six, this is a complete blowout, you know, which is completely the, uh... reasonable to ask, you know, and, and like just the way that those two guys, him and Xander can finish in traffic and catch the ball in traffic is absurd. And pairing that with Connor and his passing and feeding ability and ability to just make the defense focus on him enough to get the ball there. It, it's just like, it's practically unbeatable. It's the combo of experience like they know where each other's going to be and the combo of good coaching and scheming and combined with the fact that these are some of the best talent wise players in the country. It's an unreal trifecta. Xander Dixon has, I believe now 32 goals in eight games, which puts him on track to score 60 in the regular season, which would be a single season UVA record. The first player to score 60. Um, I believe that's accurate that, that there could have, I, I don't think that there's been anyone to score 60 in the last couple of seasons. I think Cormier has been no, right around mid fifties. Yeah. Doug Knight was what? 54, 58, I believe was the mm, number. I don't think his was that high. No. Um, well, I can look it up, in the, but regardless, um, pretty crazy. And, and Connor Schellenberger uh, is averaging now, I believe 5.6 points per game toward on favorite. As of right now, obviously, there's a lot of games left to be played, and the postseason uh, will determine a lot. Um, Have you guys on... seen the name of the guy who's in second, by the way? In second for goals? For points per game? <laughs> From um, Bucknell? Dutch oh, yes, Furlong? <laughs> Love it. That and Hashtag so across great. name. What's it's the guy so from Aj- Ajax Zapatello? Those yes. are, I think, my two favorite lacrosse names. Of Dutch this. Furlong is a character played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. You cannot convince me otherwise. <laughs> yeah. So uh, offense is playing pretty well. Uh, yet, it, well, the team is playing pretty well. A um, little bit of improvement at the faceoff X, probably. You just want to, like, if Notre Dame, Notre Dame's tough because, like, they have the guys on the wings. Um, Regardless, uh, PD's still winning the clamp on a lot of those, and they just they sort of lost a couple. Um, let's look ahead, though. UVA uh, welcomes number four Duke this Friday in a third straight game against a top Five four PM, opponent. People. Yeah, 5 p.m. Yeah, what? It's, an, it's an interesting. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting time for a game. Um, Paul, uh, thoughts on Duke? Thoughts on the Brennan O'Neill of it all? UVA. Still hasn't beaten Duke since 2019, I believe. Um, 
in the in the NCAA tournament semifinals, and before that, had only beaten them one out of the last billion times that they played. Um, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I I haven't. I, I will be completely honest. I haven't watched much non-Virginia lacrosse this year. Um, so there's a look. Duke, Duke come to town. Brennan O'Neill, like that that those that's the. Um, you know what we'll we'll see if if duke still got that juju you were just talking about um i've i've got a a pick framed picture of a a game at clockner it's against duke it's i don't even know when it's from but is even it the orange in, and blue like the royal blue and the orange? they've got royal blue on we're in like white with orange oh, shorts okay. uh but even in this like promotional sold through the bookstore really like very professional nighttime at Klockner, the best lacrosse you can get, we're still losing. Like, if you look at the scoreboard, we're still losing to Duke. So there's a little oh, bit of, it. like, the the universe just works this way. Uh, so hopefully it's something that, uh, yeah, this is a Virginia squad that can, that, you know, like you said, you know, the 2019 squad slayed that demon. Um, but it's it's been something that's that's been a tough tough road to hoe. Um, and credit to, credit to Duke for even in years that they're not a top four, top five program like they are this year. They've seemed to have Virginia's number. Um, I think Danowski has has done a good job of of recruiting athletes to Durham as well. Uh, that that's something that um, they can they can match Virginia in in a lot of areas, even even if they're not as uh, maybe technically proficient um, in in some years. But this this year, you know, I, I think that that there's a a a quadrant or, or a, a quadrifecta i don't know a, a foursome that is it's virginia maryland notre dame and duke like th those are the top four teams they've been sort of rotating who's number one and through number four amongst each other um i fully expect that to be memorial day weekend that's the four um and i i think there's been maybe a little bit of separation that it's, it's sort of virginia reasserted itself in sort of the top two of that probably together with maryland and notre dame and duke kind of in that three four but it's it's going to change week to week as especially as those teams play each other you know virginia's playing duke twice this year they're playing notre dame twice this year um so we're going to see a lot of sort of um there there will be a chance to prove that one performance good or bad isn't a fluke um, but it's going to be a challenging stretch, you know, because then the, you, you get your off week in the middle of, of, of that sort of stretch is North Carolina, uh, which is yeah. not, you know, little sisters of the poor. Um, so I think it's, we're, we're going to, we have found out a lot about this Virginia team from the past two games. Um, we're going to have a very good idea by the next time they play Notre Dame, exactly how good this team is and can be. Notably, uh, Duke's face-off guy, uh, Jake Naso, is... 65%. Yeah, so that's notable. Um, only behind uh, two other players in the country who have taken, well, more than one face-off face in win percentage. So that's significant. That being said, Duke's schedule so far has not Weird been... schedule. Yeah, it's not been the quality of Maryland or Notre Dame or Virginia. Um, I I'm blanking on what their best win is, but they lost probably, to Jacksonville early in the probably year. Probably Loyola, unless you want to say like Carolina, which I would yeah, which I would buy. So that's the thing. Like looking at their schedule, they've got four ranked wins per when they played that team. I think a few of these are inflated. Syracuse at number 20, Loyola at number seven. I think the Loyola rankings were all an overreaction to beating Maryland. I don't think that necessarily Loyola's record or schedule has proven them to be a top 10 team and i don't think they are anymore question mark i don't remember what the um latest ranking has them at um but it's an interesting you know they've got wins over air force and i always mix up st st joe's is not the one that's are they good this year st joe's is good i believe so yeah duke has an interesting where they they got burned in a close game against jacksonville in jacksonville 13 12 and then survived three with won three games by a total margin of victory of four goals which was at syracuse at penn and home against denver um they probably should have lost one of those games but they didn't and they had two overtime winners from brendan o'neill which is like yeah a good player is going to come up big for you but at the same time like they should have been beating those teams by more than that and then they beat Loyola by eight they beat Carolina by 
seven, Air Force by 12, and a good St. Joe's team on the road by three. So they've sort of rounded into form in March, um, and, but they still don't have, like UVA's win against Notre Dame is the best win in college lacrosse right now. Well, then again, I guess Maryland on the road could be considered the best win if UVA had. Yeah. Notre Dame winning at Maryland is yeah, also like in that. Right. Again, yeah. again, but, it's a very sort of incestuous real. little cycle of these it's teams playing each other is going to And gonna Duke's be. next yeah. three games, get this, are at Virginia, at Notre Dame, and versus Virginia. <laughs> fun um the i it's a hard it's hard you know like brendan o'neill's obviously really good i watched the game against penn they should have lost that game i mean well it's easy to say like oh they should have lost penn i think has been a little underwhelming the ivy is not good this year folks do not fall into that trap unless the name is cornell do not fall into that trap um but i feel like this team again so many of these games as always is the case is going to come down to face-offs and goalies what is you know I don't think that NASA will win 65%, but if they do win 65%, can you come up with enough stops to get the ball to your offense? Um, this team, I feel, isn't one that will, like we already talked about how like hyped they were heading into the Maryland game. I don't think this is one where Connor's going to be sitting there like seething about the 20-year record against Duke or something, you know what I mean? Um, they did not. I didn't realize they got crushed so badly last year. Um yeah, that Matt one was Duke. ugly. Well, Matt Moore and Connor Schellenberger were both true. banged up for that, that game. True. That was the also... year before in Charlottesville was the overtime one where Virginia got robbed. I will not. Yeah, I will um... not take arguments to the contrary. Um, that shoe coming off, whatever nonsense crap the refs pulled. Um, yeah, I think this will be a good one. I don't love that it's five o'clock on a Friday. I think that's going to greatly impact the crowd, but um. I'm excited for this one. This is going to be, you know, this is the toughest test of like they, the C I'm saying the ACC schedule they have is the toughest one. You can, Cause the last couple of years where they've had Syracuse twice and Carolina twice has been like kind of the soft version because those teams just haven't been as good where they normally would be. Um, so if they can, honestly, if you split this set between Duke and Notre Dame, you should consider that a huge success. If they can go three and one in those four games, that's remarkable. If they can go four and oh, like hand them the trophy now, like that's wild because I think those are some of the best teams in the country. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I like to our earlier discussion that they can counter potentially the skill level of Sostad and Kastner are perfectly set to uh who's the other guy williams dyson and williams i think are there two Ma- and then mcadory has been very good this year at attack that Never will probably be a, a matt suey <laughs> matchup because he is a smaller yeah. guy um i probably start with Sawstad um now that he's fully healthy this year on, on, O'Neal. on o'neal just because yeah. i think he does provide a little bit more of like when o'neal's going to put his shoulder and i think kate is maybe a little bit more stout and having cole kastner off ball especially on a guy like dyson williams it's nice to have that six seven length yeah. against the finisher and just as a guy who can slide excited. so excited you know duke's defense has not been fantastic this year it hasn't been bad um 12th in defensive efficiency their goalie uh william helm uh has saved 54 percent of his shots that's uh 15th in the country so percentage wise better than matt noons hasn't faced the level of competition of matt noons um and so yeah, we'll see. I think UVA wins by like two or three. I think it's close, but I think that UVA has a more complete team. And I think that they've shown like um, Brennan O'Neill's like I was saying, is a different matchup than the Kavanaugh's and the athleticism that UVA's polls have will be less um, dominant against him just because of that's what he's so great at. But yeah. I think that they can do well enough against him. And I don't think that Maryland or sorry, Duke has quite uh, the options outside of him that can make UVA pay or the team offense necessarily that can make them sort of, you know, exploit them like Maryland did. And then if Connor Schellenberger and Xander Dixon and Peyton Cormier keep playing like this, it's very difficult to hold them to fewer than 15 goals. And that's kind of what you have to do. Um, and then it's just about the possessions. So yeah, we'll see. Good game. Good test. Um, we went into this three-game stretch against Notre Dame, Maryland, and Duke saying two and one would be very, very good. 
if yeah. they beat Duke, that's very, very good. And I think that that cements them as the number one team in the country for now, obviously with contests against Notre Dame at home and Duke on the road still to come. Um, but Paul, Caroline, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, little hour long podcast, which Pierce will have fun editing. Um, but hey, <laughs> it's the first episode of Speaking Along. We had to do it. We had to do lacrosse through some basketball in there for you. Uh, we will be back, I'm sure, some point in the next week with uh, Pierce, Ben, and I to talk about, hopefully when we get uh, more news on potentially what Armand is doing, Reese is doing, if there's any other uh, UVA basketball roster news, we will then break things down and, and look ahead um, to what UVA will need to do in the transfer portal. Um, but until then, thank you all for listening, and go Hoos. Go Hoos.